2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You may have heard it said before that if you try to figure out the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. Have you all ever heard that quote before? I think there's quite a bit of truth to that. Now, you may be familiar with several of the different popular analogies that we as human beings try to come up with, try to explain who or what the Trinity is. One of them is the classic example of the egg. So, also newsflash, the Irwins brought some eggs out there, so if you all want some eggs, uh, you all are welcome to grab some afterwards. But what is an egg? Arguably, it's three components, three parts, the, the shell, the egg white, and the egg yolk. But it's collectively one egg. Another popular analogy is that of water. Right? So water is one thing. It's H2O. But water can exist as water, right? as a liquid, solid, and as gas. But a, a better one that I've heard is the Trinity is like the sun, the S-U-N, the actual one in our solar system. And that is, think of it like this, the Father is the actual sun itself. Jesus is like the light that illuminates the sun and creation, and the Spirit is the heat which warms and affects creation. Kind of helpful way to think about it. Another popular example is that of the triangle. Okay, so the, the literal triangle. So in the middle, what we have is God Almighty is in the middle. There's a line from each point connecting to the middle. So we got Father, Son, and Spirit. And on this, the, the lines, we have is not. But connecting to the middle is the word is, right? So follow me. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Father is not the Spirit. And so on and so forth, all the way around. But the Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. That's a decent way to think of it. And one of the best ones that I've come across is one that's known as the, the Trinity as a spiritual organism, right? You may have not heard of that one before, but what do I mean by that? The Father, Son, and Spirit are so closely linked together, so tightly interwoven together, interdependent is a good word, that they cannot exist independently. They cannot exist separately. For example, take the human body. Think about the heart, the brain, and the lungs. No human being can live without one of those. And now, of course, there's apparatuses, right? A fake heart or fake lungs that can keep a person alive, right? So I'm not talking about that, right? Just understand with Brain, heart, lungs, you need all three to live, to be a living person. But also, the heart in and of itself is not a person. The lungs in and of itself is not a person. And the brain in and of itself is not a person. You need all three collectively to bring and to be a person, to be human life. Similarly, with God Almighty, with the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, they supply each other with life. As one person said, none of the three could be without each of the other two. It's not as though you can have the Father and you can take away the Son and the Spirit. That just completely ceases to exist to be God. You need all three at the same time to be God. Now, all of those analogies that I just shared, 
every single one of them falls very short because after all, we are finite human beings attempting to grasp the infinite. It's like a tiny little ant trying to understand the complexities of the human brain and how it works. It's impossible for it to fully happen. But if it's impossible, why should we try? If we'll never fully figure out the Trinity, why in the world should we try in the first place? J.I. Packer, who's an English-Canadian theologian, he passed a couple years ago, but he emphasized, and he wrote this, our main business is that we, our main business that we are here for is to know God. That is why we exist in the world, to know God. Now, immediately you hear that, some of you might think, okay, but that sounds kind of dull and boring, right? I like watching movies. Knowing God isn't necessarily invigorating to my soul. It doesn't seem like that's why I exist. It's certainly not day-to-day why I exist. I, I exist to make money and so on and so forth. Well, what does John 17.3 say? This is eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? It's not a rhetorical question. What is eternal life? It's knowing Him. It's knowing God. It's knowing Jesus Christ whom God has sent. And also, think about the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So yes, in part, we are called to love God with our minds, with our intellect, with our will, with our rational way of thinking. So if you and I are going to experience eternal life and love God with our minds, right? John 17, 3, we want to experience eternal life. That may sound weird to you, but again, that means experience an abundant life, a fulfilled life, a meaningful life, a rich life. And if we are going to love God with our minds, a very practical way to do that is by wrestling through the doctrine of the Trinity together. So to do that, three questions for us this morning. Number one, where is the Trinity in the Bible? Or is the Trinity biblical in the first place? Number two, who is the Trinity? Or how does the Trinity function in salvation history? And then finally, what difference does it make in the first place? Firstly, is the Trinity biblical? Now, we're going to do a few verses in the New Testament. Let me ask you this, Bible trivia for you. Where is the first occasion in the New Testament of the Trinity? Does somebody know that perchance? That's with the Father, Son, and Spirit all mentioned. Yes, the baptism of Jesus. This is the first instance in the New Testament of the Trinity clearly being on display. Matthew 3, verse 16. Please turn there so you can see with me. And also, I'm an avid uh, advocate of memorizing Scripture. And everybody, most everybody knows John 3.16. So this is another 3.16 verse that you can file in, in your mind. If you don't know it verbatim, remember the reference, right? Matthew 3.16, this tells us about the Trinity. So Matthew 3.16 to 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. All three members are clearly there. The Father blesses the Son through the Spirit of God. Stated slightly differently. 
the Father in heaven, he publicly affirmed the, the divinity, the goodness, the perfection of Christ the Son. But how did the Father do that? What was the tangible sign, the tangible means by which he affirmed the Son? By the Spirit of God uh, descending down from heaven. So the Father, Son, and Spirit are clearly there. If you fast forward, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. It's fascinating that Matthew 3.16, the Trinity, in connection to baptism, and then Matthew 28, we see the Trinity coming up again very clearly in connection to baptism. So there's something significant there. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This is Jesus's, some of Jesus' very last words on earth before he descended back to heaven. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So before Jesus left, what was it important for him to communicate? Make disciples. What is a disciple? A follower of Jesus. It's it's simply as that. Help others follow Jesus. Help others come to know me and help them to faithfully live for me. Make disciples. How do you make disciples? What does that mean? What does that look like? What are the components of making disciples? Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. He's very clear. Make disciples of all nations. Then firstly, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you notice the precise wording there. It says, baptizing them in the name of, it's a singular word, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not in the names of, but in the one name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is yet again alluding to the three in one and the one in three. So in a sense, is God one? Absolutely. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But in a sense, God is also three. Right? There's three persons to this one God. So baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is baptism? What's the purpose of it? Let me hear, let me hear somebody else here. All right. What's the purpose of baptism? Yes, Jesus said to do it, right? I got that. But why? What's the significance of it? Outward demonstration of an internal change. Okay? Any other thoughts on that? Say to, to become God's children? Or to, to demonstrate we're God's children? Yep. To unite our lives with Christ. Yep. Especially, that's a good point, especially think about Jesus. Okay, so Jesus was baptized, but it's not as though Jesus was sinful and he needed to repent of sin and be cleansed of sin, no. When you think about when Jesus was baptized, I think in large part it was about identification. Both the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father. In other words, being baptized, even for us today, baptism is in part about identifying with God. It's a very public thing to do that you say to the church, to the community, to the world, hey, I belong to God. But which God? Who's the God you're identifying with? Because God's a pretty generic term, 
Right? There's many religions that believe in God. Many people believe in God. Which God are you talking about? That's why I think the Trinity is so closely intertwined with baptism. Because, hey, I want to identify with God. But not just any random God. I want to identify with the triune God. With the Father, Son, and Spirit as revealed through the Scriptures. So that's where the Trinity is in the Bible, right? It's right there. But by far, I think the clearest text on the Trinity come from the Gospel according to John, the fourth Gospel. One scholar said in the book of John, we see, quote, the supreme biblical pattern of Trinitarian thought. And in John 10, verse 30, Jesus simply said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And if you remember Brother George visiting us last week from Southeast Asia, he said, there's a phrase at the very beginning of his sermon, he said, God is a unity, not a unit. I think that's a very helpful way to think about about it. God is a unity, not a unit. So Jesus is identifying with the Father. I and the Father are one. John 14, verse 10, Jesus also said, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? And then all three members of the Trinity are in John 15, 26. When the Advocate comes, who's the Advocate? It's the Spirit of God. When the Advocate comes, whom I, Jesus is speaking, when the Spirit comes, whom Jesus, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He, referring to the Spirit, will testify about me. All three members are clearly working together right there in John 15, 26. And then the, the last one I'll mention for now is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. We just read it to open up our time together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So these are a few places. If somebody's, you're talking to somebody, how, how do you make sense of the Trinity? Where is it in the Bible? You just made that up. No, here it is. And also, it, piggybacking off of what Brother George said last week, there's some cultures that have a hiccup with the Trinity. Let me state it slightly differently. In your own personal walk with the Lord, right? if you're faithfully following Jesus, or if you're just exploring Christianity and thinking about it, have any of you personally had a huge hiccup with the Trinity? I'm talking about having a true stumbling block with it. Now, yes, all of us in here, nobody has fully wrapped their heads around it. But I'm talking about you read the Bible, you examine the claims of Christianity, you come across the Trinity and you think, I'm not becoming a Christian because that is absurd. I doubt anybody in here has thought that. If you have, I'd be interested to hear thought process and how you've overcome that. But Brother George was saying, for the majority of Muslims, if not all of them, they all have a hiccup with the Trinity. How is the Father, how does the Father have a son? The Father doesn't have a wife, so how does he have a son from all of eternity? And what, three and one, one and three, that makes no sense. That's completely illogical. You Christians are foolish to think that. There's only one God. His name is Allah. So the Trinity is something that is a stumbling block for many people. So this is right, a few little apologetic tools that you can have to help show people where the Trinity is in Scripture. But you might immediately think, where's the Trinity in the Old Testament? Right? If the Trinity is true, why don't we find it clearly in the Old Testament? Well, I've heard it said before, like a lot of doctrines. The Trinity is foreshadowed in the Old Testament, 
but it's on clear display in the New Testament. To think of it vividly, the doctrine of the Trinity buds in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it bursts into a full flower. This is how God reveals himself, right? Kind of little by little by little. And as Timothy George notes, when you read the Old Testament, you don't need to look for a three-leaf clover in every verse, right? So just be, be cautious about that. But there are some evidences in the Old Testament. If you'd like to know some, talk to me afterwards. I'd be glad to share those with you. So is the Trinity biblical? Is it in the Bible? Do we see it in the Bible? Absolutely. Number two, who is the Trinity? How does the Trinity function in salvation? The Baptist faith and message, we're going to recite this together at the end, but it says the eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Think of it like this. Each person of the Trinity is united together in essence and in glory and in purpose. The Father is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. Jesus is fully God. And they all have the exact same mission. Which, again, Brother George mentioned it last week. He opened up his time. What is the mission of the triune God concerning the world? It's to bring the lost to himself. The Father, Son, and Spirit are all working together to do that. They all have the same amount of glory and honor and they're all worthy of praise. But while the Trinity is united in glory, in a sense, they do differ in their roles and functions. In a sense. You might be wondering, how is that? Where do I see that in the Bible? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see this one with your eyes. This is, this is another wonderful verse for where the Trinity is in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. Again, the question is, what does each person of the Trinity do? What does Jesus do? What does the Spirit do? Who who is the Father? What do they all kind of do? How do they differ in some of their actions? 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Here we go. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What did Peter just say there? So Peter is writing to God's elect, to God's people, to Christians. So to Christians, to you brothers and sisters, you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, who have been sanctified through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, For the purpose of being obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. So who is the Trinity? Who's each person? Here's a helpful way to think about it from right there. Number one, the Father. He arranges the plan of salvation. Three A's for you. The Father arranges the plan of salvation. If you will, God the Father is the architect. He is the orchestrator. He's the, in a sense, he's the one with the divine mind who came up with everything the divine plan of redemption. He orchestrated salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 echoes that God the Father is the sovereign planner. For the Father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, the Father predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. 
Who is the Father? What does He do? In a sense, He is the architect. He is the one who arranges salvation. Number two, the Son. What does the Son do? The Son achieves or accomplishes salvation. God the Father arranged it, planned it. The Son executed it and made it possible. And Peter mentions, 1 Peter verse 2, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. So Peter is talking and pointing back to the cross and to the resurrection as well. And keep in mind, what is the Father's goal? What does the Father want to do? Think about the image of the prodigal son. We are all like prodigal sons. What does the Father want us to do? To come home. But how is that possible? How can the Father receive us, though we are filthy, though we have been wallowing around in the mud like pigs? How does the Father receive us into His perfect home? Through the cleansing work of Christ through the sprinkling of His blood over our sin, atoning for our sin, covering over our sin. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, it tells us the Father's eternal purpose has been accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thirdly, who is the Spirit? The Spirit applies salvation to you. The Father arranges it. Jesus accomplishes it. The Spirit applies it to you personally. This isn't just something out there and randomly, you know, it, just in general. No, the Spirit makes it personal to your own life. And Peter mentions the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? How does the Spirit sanctify us? Well, John sixteen eight, when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. How does the Spirit sanctify you? He convicts you of sin. He gives you a conscience. He softens that conscience and helps you know, hey, you're sinning. You know better. You are dishonoring God. What else does the Spirit do? The Spirit illuminates our hearts to see the truth. Ephesians 1.17, Paul is saying, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. The Spirit there is capitalized so that you might have the Holy Spirit so that you might know Him better. And then also, the Spirit empowers us to live a godly life. Romans fifteen thirteen, a beautiful verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of these things, what, what did I mention all that? Those are all synonyms for sanctification. Right? Sanctification means being set apart. Right? If we are all walking off the cliff's edge right there, The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He sets us apart, brings us on the right path, cleanses us, purifies us, calls us to follow Christ. Those are all different ways the Spirit does that. So that's who the Trinity is. But before we move on to the last question, to be clear, each person of the Trinity works together with one another. They are all intertwined together. For example, when Jesus walked in the world. Here's a question for you. When Jesus came to preach, to perform miracles, who did the miracles? Or how did Jesus do those miracles? Did he rely upon his own strength? Or did he rely upon the Spirit of God? I think more so the Spirit, but I think in a sense he did rely upon himself as well. 
I think that's one of those both and, right? Because Jesus is fully divine. But again, the spirit is quite clear. Matthew 12, 18. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. And also Matthew 12, verse 28. This is what Jesus said. If it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, by His power. And then also in Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about how Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is all working together. But also think about the Old Testament. This is the only one I'll mention from the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 1. That's the creation narrative. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2. Now the earth, I I want to make sure I get this right. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. The Trinity, you can find hints of him, of it, right, it's not a, you can find hints of the Trinity in Genesis 1. God the Father. Then you see the spirit hovering over the waters then how did God actually create? What did he do? He used words. He spoke. And who is the word of God? Jesus Christ is the word of God. So again, the Trinity all works together at all times, in all places. But they all, in a sense, have different distinct roles. For example, the Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. That was Jesus. Okay, so there's slight distinction, but they're unified together. If I've helped explain the Trinity a little bit or posed more questions for you than, not, than uh, answers, the last question we ask is what difference does it make? What difference does it make if there's the Trinity as you've been describing as we see in God's Word or if it's just one God and one person? And we don't have to fool with all this triangle mess that you brought up today. What difference does it make for me? A few reasons for you. Number one. Like three, right? I'm trying to be triune, right? Uh, catch up on the, the three points. Number one, understanding the Trinity helps us know why we're here. It helps us know why we're here. Stated differently, have you ever wondered what was God doing before he made the world? Have you ever thought that? What in the world was God doing before he made the world? The Trinity, as revealed in Scripture, it helps us understand that question. Before everything existed, God Almighty existed interdependently with Himself. In other words, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were having perfect communion and fellowship with one another. So it's not as though God was lonely. It's not as though God was bored in heaven or I mean, he created heaven. It's not as though God was just bored and and lonely. No, God was perfectly content in himself. He perfectly delighted in one another, in each member of the Trinity. So then why did he create everything? Well, it wasn't out of selfishness. Again, it wasn't out of loneliness. It was out of love. God is love, 1 John 4 tells us. The essence of who God is is love. But for love to exist, you you know this, for love to exist, there has to be a subject and an object. Somebody has to give love, somebody has to receive love. There's no such thing as self-love per se, right? That's self-obsession. 
That's um, arrogance. That's pride. But the Father is not prideful or arrogant. It, or it got the Trinity. It's love. Right? Three persons, all sharing and all loving one another. And the reason he created us was to share that love. As an overflow, as a, as a bubbling fountain of water just needs to overflow. That's why God created us. And understanding the Trinity helps us understand why we're here. This is a beautiful thing about Christianity. Other religions in the world, they portray God as lacking or as lonely or as bored. And that's why he created the world. Other religions say that the whole world, especially thinking in the first century context, the world came about because the gods in heaven were feuding. They were fighting. And the world is simply a byproduct of all their anger and rage. But the, the Bible is unique in that the world was born out of love. I think that's a beautiful thing. The Trinity helps us know why we're here. Number two, the Trinity helps you know what makes Christianity distinctive. It's very different from other world religions. Right? Islam and Judaism, they are monotheistic through and through. There is only one God. Hinduism, on the other hand, polytheistic. There are many gods, millions of gods. Buddhism, on the other hand, is pantheistic, meaning everything is God, more or less. So it's not on either extreme, right? The Trinity there is one God, three persons. It is the only religion that claims anything like that. It's extremely unique in that regard. And then lastly, the Trinity helps us, understanding the Trinity helps us better relate to God. It helps us better relate to Him, have a deeper relationship with Him. In our men's Bible study, we're reading a book called Enjoying God by Tim Chester. And the whole premise of the book is helping us understand the Trinity better, that we might have a richer life and enjoyment of Him. And let me just ask you, right, practically, what does that mean? What are you talking about? Who do you pray to when you pray? Do you pray, dear Lord, dear God, maybe dear Father, our Father in heaven? That's what Jesus instructed. Who do you pray to? What do you say? What do you call Him? My encouragement slash challenge for you this week is to pray to each person of the Trinity if you've never done that before. Pray to the Father, as you should and as you ought. Thank Him for daily provision. Pray for that daily provision that you need as a good father would give his child. Pray to Jesus directly. Thank Him for His sacrifice. Thank Him for coming into the world, for living that perfect life, for doing everything for you. Thank Him for that. And also pray to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit, I need you. I need some strength. I need some wisdom. I need some comfort. I need some help. I need some help. Pray to each person of the Trinity. It can be in the same breath, the same prayer, but it's just something to think about to enhance your fellowship with the Trinity, our triune God. So brothers and sisters, as we wrap up, this is is in conclusion. When you and I come across hard doctrines in the Bible, we cannot have the attitude of the defeatist attitude. I'll never figure it out, so I'm not even going to try. You might be tempted to think that with the Trinity, and I think a lot of us might be tempted to think that with the end times. I'll never figure out Revelation, so I'm not even going to read it. I'm not even going to try to study it. We cannot do that as Christians. We are called to love God with our minds. Are we going to figure Him out perfectly? Of course not. But we have to try We have to strive to do that.
as God has called us to. So our, um, if you want to go to the next slide, Sophie, the, we'll, we'll conclude by reading out, this was kind of the intro part to the Father, Son, and Spirit. This was the preface to that. We'll read this together in conclusion, and then we'll close with our doxology. But um, this is what we declare about God Almighty. There is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and His perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of His free creatures. To Him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals Himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes but without division of nature, essence, or being. In our closing prayer and benediction, the verse we opened with, 2 Corinthians 13.14 May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Church, will you stand with us as we sing the doxology?